Well, hello. How can you not be smiling after that announcement? My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are talking a little bit about joy today, and Maggie obviously has some joy. Isn't it interesting, like, if you just hang out with kids, how much joy they have? It just, like, radiates, like, there's no fear or worry. They just, they just are living joy. So that's my goal for us today. We all act a little bit more like kids. Okay. Uh, you're with me. Good. Hey, we are in an Advent series, and we've kind of been saying this every week, that this is a season for us to slow down, which sounds countercultural, right? To prepare and to reorient our lives around the presence of God. This is a difficult thing to do in this season. Everything else around us is ramping up, speeding up, and it's... it's the preparations are being made for sure, but to reorient our lives, if you said, this is my goal this season, your friends might look at you like, whoa, that's a little odd. That's a little odd. But this is our goal, and we, this, we believe that this is what Jesus wants for us. We believe that he wants us in some ways to slow down, to unhurry, and to seek his goodness and presence in the midst of the Christmas story. So we're going to do that today. I'm going to start, though, with a little bit of a game. Um, so we asked your favorite Christmas character, Christmas movie character. So here's, here's a few. Let's, let's see this first one. Um, who's this? The Grinch. Look how grumpy he looks. But if you've watched this movie, see if you can notice what happens. So let's go to the next slide. Oh, something happened. Something changed. All right, let's go to the next one. Oh, I feel like I've seen this person at church. Uh, like, oh. <laughs> uh, this is Scrooge. Look, I mean, this just, he just looks mean and grumpy. By the way, bah humbug syndrome is an actual thing around Christmas. Yes, people have this bah humbug syndrome. Everybody else is joyful and happy. You know, it's easy to kind of um, resist against that. But look at the end of the movie. Oh, smiling, tiny Tim on his shoulders. Something has happened. What has happened? Something has changed. It's the same face, but it's smiling. One more. Oh. This is one of my favorite Christmas movie characters, Clark Griswold. And then... That is joy. That is joy. Well, I, I watch Christmas movies every year. And this year, I've just started to notice this change. Every single movie, so pay attention, every single movie has this change, this inner transformation, not an outer transformation. It's not about people getting things. Like, that's a bad movie. Like, I really want a big bicycle, and I go, and I get a big bicycle. Like, that's a bad movie. But there's this inner transformation that happens. And as far as I can tell, all of the links between these movies is something called the spirit of Christmas. 
the spirit of Christmas, and you hear it in all of these movies, which is really fascinating. Think about that. The spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ. That's what Christmas means. That's what Christmas is about. It's about Christ. My wife said, oh, Christmas, of course I know what that means. Christ, mas, as in Spanish, like mas, more, more Christ. It's like, I don't actually think that's what it means, but I like that, more Christ, the spirit of more Christ. That's what I'm going to tell people. That's what I told you. That's not what it means, but Christ, mass, and actually we say Merry Christmas. Merry means cheerful and lively. In Europe, they just skip to happy, happy Christmas, which I love. I kind of wish we said happy Christmas. Feliz Navidad, happy nativity. Feliz actually means someone who is happy and has feelings of joy or contentment. Are you happy? Do you have feelings of joy and contentment in your life? And are they lasting? Because I think there's, there's something about the Christmas cheer, but after the season, does that joy stick with you? Does that contentment stay with you? I think for a lot of us, anxiety and stress and hurry and discontentment and depression and despair begin to invade our lives. I'm going to give one, one more question, one more picture. Who's this? Jesus. Doesn't he look grumpy? Serious, grumpy. This is a picture that has informed what we expect Jesus to look like for over 10 centuries. And there's a show that's been on recently that has helped me to start to think about Jesus a little bit differently. And sometimes when I, like, when, if you just close your eyes and think about Jesus, for many people, this may not be for you, but for many people, this is the image that comes to mind, especially people that may not have any familiarity with the church it may even be worse than this. It may be a mean, grumpy Jesus is pointing a finger saying, you're bad. And a lot of us feel that. We feel the stress and anxiety and weight of sin. But this is, this is the picture of Jesus I've started to imagine. <laughs> the Chosen is a fantastic show. If you hadn't had a chance to watch it, Jonathan Rumi is the actor there. And, and when you close your eyes and you think about Jesus in the morning, we should picture a joyful, happy, content, blessed Jesus that loves you. Do you think of that? When you think about the Christmas season, Jesus would have been the most joyful person you could have ever met. And he is. That's the promise of joy this Christmas, true and lasting joy. That's what God wants for us. So we're going we're gonna to look at one verse in particular. I'm going to allow it to kind of be our outline for today. Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible, uh, Luke chapter 2. One of my favorite traditions every Advent season is to go back and read the story of Christmas. And every year, something new kind of stands out as we read the story, read it to our kids. And Luke, I just love Luke's version of the story of Christmas. And chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And 
A lot of us know this story from being raised in, in the church or just by being in our culture. Our culture, isn't it amazing, celebrates this holiday, Mas Christ, more Christ. I think it's awesome. What an opportunity for us to talk about the story of Jesus. And Mary was pledged to be married, but she got pregnant. And I don't know, like Mary, there maybe is a sense of disappointment or shame or anxiety and stress leading up to the moment, but she finally gives birth to a boy. They give him the name Jesus. And then verse 8, it says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And isn't this just like God? He shows up through an angel, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, which is another word for Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, we read this with some familiarity, but this, this is a powerful, powerful passage, and we're going to allow this to kind of be our outline of the morning as we talk about joy. Uh, so we're going to kind of go through this. Um, but the first thing I think that I want to point out to you is the first command. Do not be afraid. Did you know this is the most quoted command in all of Scripture? And it's the number one command of the Christmas story. Do not be afraid. Don't let fear seize you. Do not be afraid. And a lot of us coming up to Christmas were like, well, I don't know that I have too many fears. I mean, things are going pretty well for, for a lot of us. But I would say, and, and science shows this, most of us in our culture today are living with some sort of low-grade anxiety and worry about life. And it comes often in these, these three ways. So um, fear often is, I'm not going to be enough. Fear or worry which hits at our identity. Maybe that's for you. Which of these three is for you this morning or in the season that I, I'm worried I'm not going to be enough? Or maybe it's the second one. I'm not going to do enough, accomplish, or be as successful. Maybe I'm not going to do everything I need to do to feel like I fully prepare my heart and my mind and my house and my family for the Christmas season. This grips us sometimes, the doing, all the preparations, the outward, external preparations, cause stress and fear and anxiety instead of taking the time to slow down and prepare our inner heart and mind. Or number three, I'm not going to have enough, which often comes in security and well-being. But it's, it's easy to see how greed slips into this season. 
Like as soon as, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, I am super content until somebody asks me for a Christmas list. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I need a lot of stuff. You know, I need this and this. And then you get something, you get a gift on Christmas, and you're like, oh, yeah, but I got those shoes, but now I need those socks, or I need those pants to go with those shoes, or I need that jacket to go with that. And it's just like it's this, this waterfall of greed and fear and worry that I don't have enough. I'm not. And, and many of us may not say this outright, but if you look at your life, many of us operate out of this. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to do enough. I'm not going to have enough. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not fear or worry. That is a command. David Brooks, New York Times columnist, says this, there's always something flowing out of the interiority of our spirit. For some of us, it's mostly fear or insecurity. But the, for the people we call joyful, that's our goal, for the people we call joyful, it's mostly gratitude, delight, and kindness. What is flowing out of the interior of your life? You know, I show you those pictures, those images of faces for a reason, because what is often inside gets shown with our face. Some of us need to fix our faces. <laughs> Some of us this season need to work on smiling more. And if your face is constantly grumpy and mean-looking, it might be that the interior of your life is not filled with joy and well-being and contentment. That's a difficult question. Honey, how's my face? How's my face? And sometimes we need the reminder, like, are you happy? Are you joyful? Fix your face, you know, let it show in your life, and not just in your face, but in the way that you act and interact with the people around you. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news. And that's the next, next part of this, this verse, good news. Euangelion is the word there, and it's actually the word that is translated gospel. Have you heard of the gospel? It's good news. Many verses have this good tidings. This would have been like the, the arrival of a king. This would have been an announcement, a joyful announcement of a new political regime that's going to fix all of your political woes and worries and fears. That sounds like good news, right? There's good news. It's like it's all over the headlines, all over the papers. And for you, like, what would be good news? Can you imagine, like, what would be good news? Like the floodwaters are encroaching on your home and suddenly they stop and they recede. Or maybe you're in financial ruins and just at the right time a gift comes in and pays off all of your debt. Or maybe you're sick or someone you love is sick and at just the right moment, they experience life and healing. And Jesus brings good news. It, actually, a couple of verses later, this is the definition of the gospel of the good news. A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, Yahweh, the Lord. That's the definition of the gospel. 
We try to make it so much more than that. Yeah, you gotta arrange your life around these things, you gotta check off these boxes, and you have to um, have total forgiveness of all your sins. No, the good news, the gospel, is that a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He's the one that you've been long expecting, and that's what good news is, a new and unexpected development and a much longer story. Something that has happened because of which everything from here on out will now be different. A savior, Jesus, has been born. Like Matt was saying this morning, like that's the gift of Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God reached down to, and it's amazing to me that this gift is born in a stable right? A baby, an infant, baby, like vulnerable, and, and, and then we're going to put it in a trough, a feeding trough. And then I'm going to show up to the shepherds, these dirty shepherds who were living out there. But why? Because they were expectant. They were waiting for something. And they were the, the ones that were quick to realize this is good news. This is good news in this long story. This is good news. So they left their livelihood. It's like when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, you sell everything that you have because you recognize the beauty of the gift of the kingdom. Sell everything and run. They just ran. They went to find the baby lying in a manger. Is Jesus good news in your life? He wants to be. And as soon as we recognize and accept that God has given us a gift of a savior, he comes in and resides in our hearts and changes everything. And that is good news. That's what we celebrate for Christmas. And what does this lead to? If, if all those good things that I kind of described happen, think about the greatest news you could ever receive. You'd probably call everyone. I remember when my wife and I, we got engaged in Kansas City and we had a long drive home after getting engaged. And I was imagining that after we got engaged, we'd be talking, we'd be joyful. Instead, she called all 150 of her friends and told them the news. I'm engaged, I'm engaged. And I just drove, you know. <laughs> Couldn't have come soon enough, I'm engaged. But she was so excited. There was great joy. Maybe you'll sing a song, right? Most of scripture in, in Psalms, when they experience joy, they sing songs. They sing songs of joy. It's like it's bursting out. Great joy. Actually, the, even the word great joy in our translation, we miss it. It's mega. Mega joy. What do you want for Christmas? I want mega joy. I want as much joy as I can get. There's only one place that comes. The good news. In the midst of my fear and worries, a savior has been born to us. And that causes mega joy. Maybe through a party. That's what Jesus does. He's like, every time somebody accepts the good news and turns their heart toward him, there's a party in heaven. 
Oh, I, I imagine heaven is just party central. Party, party, party. Party, party, party. Actually, that's what Jesus was accused of. Like, he's out there partying all the time. Wouldn't you be much more serious? Like, Jesus, we, we want you to be serious. Jesus like, why? There's great joy. There's mega joy with the arrival of the good news of the kingdom of God in the town of Bethlehem. And it's good news for all people. Mega joy. That's what Christmas is about. You know, I think it's interesting. We're going to talk about two aspects of joy. Two aspects of joy. And the first aspect of joy, I think we, we tend to uh, understand a little bit more. Joy as an emotion. You know, there are um, four primary emotions. Mad, sad, glad, and angry. Mad, sad, glad, and angry. There's only one positive. But that's, that's happiness. That's joy. In the midst of all of our madness and our sadness, in our anger, there is joy. And joy, for many of us, is often fleeting because we find joy in the midst of things or possessions, circumstances of our lives, the dialing of our lives. To, we all want to be happy. It's one of the four emotions. And if you're not happy, then you're mad, sad, or angry, upset, discontent. We all want to be happy. The problem is that often we rearrange our lives for happiness based on what I possess, what I have, what I do, what I'm becoming, our identity, like we talked about. And that causes fear and anxiety and worry, especially when those things fade, because they'll all fade. That's the promise. Those things will fade in our life. N.T. Wright says this, though. In the Bible, joy is what happens when God finally does something that the people have been waiting for. In our hearts, if we're honest, there is something we've been waiting for all of existence, all of the world, ever since the very beginning. There was a discontent in relationship. There was something that happened, and we've been waiting all. You think about the larger narrative that's going on, the story, and Jesus arrives, and he changes everything. He is what the people for us have been waiting for. And what does this lead to? Here's an example. This is all through Psalms, but here's just an example. 71 verse 23, I will shout for joy and sing your praises for you have ransomed me. What a beautiful psalm. What are you shouting for joy? Is it because you've been ransomed? We've been in a mess. Everything in our lives at times feels messy. But through Jesus, everything changes. And here's what, here's what happens. Je you know, after Jesus, he says, I will give you the Spirit, and the Spirit will be with you. We have God's Spirit, his empowering presence, because there's still pain and sorrow and evil in the world. We needed something to go with us to remind us 
of the joy and the good news of Christ. And so we have the Spirit. It's amazing to me how much the Spirit and joy are intermixed. Here's a couple of examples. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Notice, it's number two on the list. That's pretty high. Number one is love. We're going to talk about next week. For us, Christian joy is not just about changing your mind to think about joy and changing the state of your mind. Joy is indicative of the presence of the Spirit in my life. If I have true lasting joy, that's because of the Spirit in my life. And you flip it around. Those who practice joy, who have joy, that's often evidence of the Spirit. So if you want joy in your life, seek Jesus. His deposit is the Spirit. The Spirit leads to joy. If we choose to live with joy, we're activating the Spirit in our lives. And this is a change in perspective, and that's what happens. And that's what, how we can really funnel joy in our lives is often a change in perspective. John Mark Comer says it this way, don't let your phone set your emotional equilibrium and your newsfeed set your view of the world. That's a surefire formula for misery. Instead, start your day with prayer and let Scripture frame your lens of life in God's good world and enter into joy. Change your perspective. Frame your lens of life in God's good world about the Spirit and what Jesus has done for you. And it's often a change of perspective. Now, how are you? People ask this all the time. How are you? Some of you have maybe noticed I've started to change my answer. I used to say busy. Busy, a lot going on. I started to change it. I made this little tweak. And now I say blessed. <laughs> How are you? Blessed. I am blessed. And at first it was just a change in word. But over time, I've noticed how much that's my now gut reaction. When somebody says, how are you? I say blessed. And I immediately start to think about, I am blessed. I am truly blessed. My family, my home, where I live, my health, I am blessed. And it's a change in perspective. The spirit is in me. I have the spirit of Christ. I am blessed. There's so many people in the world that are not blessed And this is what Paul's saying. Matt talked about this a couple of, of weeks ago when we were walking through Philippians. It says, celebrate God all day, every day. You are blessed. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let your petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. And then you'll experience this wonderful blessing at the center of your life. Blessed. Actually, um, if you're reading in the Christmas story and you go back just a, uh, one chapter, chapter one, we have Mary, who I talked about at the beginning, pregnant out of wedlock, 
uh-oh, like there's worry, there's fear, what's going to happen? I'm sure that she's anxious. But she comes to her um, Elizabeth, and, and the baby inside Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy. Jumps for joy just at the presence of Jesus. Are you jumping for joy just at the presence of Jesus? That's what happened with John the Baptist. Jumps for joy. And then she sings, uh, she sings this song. Or writes a poem. I mean, depending on how you look at it. But it's Luke 1, 46 through 49. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. The mighty one has done great things for me. So I am blessed to feel the emotion of joy, a lot of times it's just a change of perspective. How many of you have more than $5? Over 3 billion people live on less than $2 a day. Do you have clean drinking water? Nearly a billion people don't have access to clean drinking water in the world. Are you alive? Do you have food in your stomach? It's kind of a rhetorical question. More than 30,000 children die every day due to hunger and malnutrition. Gratitude is about perspective. I am grateful. I am blessed. What if that reframed your mind this Christmas season? How are you? I'm blessed. Watch the surprise on people's faces when they say it. That's part of my, that's one of my favorite parts of saying that, making that change. For you, maybe it's just a reminder every morning to come to Scripture to center on the good news of Jesus, the arrival, and it's just, God, I am blessed. I am blessed. Maybe it is participating in the, the serving opportunities that we have or finding somebody that's in need and, and giving out of your generosity, out of your blessedness, bless other people. That's what we're supposed to do with that. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says, biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, per se, but because of their hope in God's love and promise, which we receive in the person of Jesus. Joy as an emotion. You are blessed. Number two, joy as a practice. We don't often think of joy as a practice, but joy throughout Scripture is often a spiritual discipline. Delight and rejoice is how people and writers have, have described it, a spiritual discipline of celebration, which is very counterformational in our culture. Here are a few examples in Scripture. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Be joyful always and pray continually. Rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. This is what Jesus says. For great is your reward in heaven. Jesus also says, also says rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great. It's more like a command than an emotion, right? Scripture is commanding us encouraging us 
to cultivate a practice of joy. Not just to feel the emotion of joy, which I think God wants for us. He wants us to experience joy in the midst of sadness and sorrow. And that happens when God is the the backdrop of our lives. Even in the midst of sadness, we can experience great joy. The sorrow may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning, like we said. There's joy in the emotion of the good news, but there's also joy as a practice. The ability, here it is, I kind of tried to define this. Joy is a practice. The ability to intentionally focus your mind and even your body on the goodness of your life before God. That's my challenge to you. Can you intentionally focus your mind and even your body on the goodness of your life before God? Our culture kind of talks about this in terms of hedonism, just enjoy, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. But the the discipline of joy is savoring and delighting in what God has given you. Slowly eating your meal and enjoying each bite and being thankful for the hands that prepared it. Going on a walk and listening to the birds and nature. Going to bed and waking up feeling fully rested in the morning. It's a practice of joy. Keeping a gratitude journal. There's this inner part of it. It's this trust in Jesus, the interior of my life, giving Jesus my all, sitting with scripture in the morning and at night reflecting on the ways God has been good. But it can be, it can be even simple things, simple pleasures of life, playing games with friends and doing a puzzle with your kids and um, just spending time feasting. We talk about fasting as a spiritual discipline. Feasting is also a spiritual discipline, and that's part of why God had so many rules and regulations and commands about holidays throughout the Old Testament. If you read it, it's like, man, they are getting serious about these holidays. Like, you can only cut these things off the meet and do these things, but what they're doing is they're training for joy. God is reminding them to train for joy because God is good. It's the, all of these things, all of life is within the backdrop of God's incredible generosity. That's how we practice joy. And again, perspective. Dallas Willard says this, this is a God-bathed and God-permeated world. It's a world that is inconceivably beautiful and good because of God and because he is always in it. God created and he said, it is good. It's enjoying your life. That's how you cultivate the practice of joy within the backdrop of God's goodness. One more quote. Willie James Jennings says, joy is an act of resistance against despair and its forces. (laughs) I love that. Joy can be a way of life. Resist against the despair and its forces, not just this Christmas season, but all year long. Cultivate a practice of joy. Jesus understood this on a deep level, that when we can appreciate and be grateful and 
remind ourselves that we are blessed and to cultivate a practice and livelihood of joy that we begin to be the kind of people the world needs because we don't hoard things anymore. We see all of life as a gift, a beautiful gift that came from God and we begin to give it away. And that becomes the answer to the world's prayers. And Jesus said it this way, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. There's this moral ability to stay in Jesus' commands and experience joy. Joy comes from keeping the commands of Scripture and of Jesus. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Imagine having the joy of Jesus, the complete joy of Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Research backs this up. Permanent joy happens when our life begins to turn outward toward other people. That's true practice of joy. That's the fruit of joy in our lives. We begin to give ourselves away in generosity and love. Out of gratitude, we serve and help others. We become a community of joy. It was described by somebody as this, a movement from a cramped world of self-preoccupation to the expansive place of community, generosity, and love. I love that. It gets cramped when you're focusing all on yourself. It gets really cramped. Let's move to the expansive place of community and generosity and love. So, do not be afraid. There's good news of great joy for all people. It's not just for kids. It's for everybody. It's for all of us. This is what makes it good news. It's for everyone. And it says there's actually going to be a sign. There's going to be a sign. There's a baby lying in a manger. And this little infant child is going to change everything. There's a sign that every time we see the nativity, every time this Christmas we are wondering what this is all about, just look at the manger. It's a sign. Jesus is a sign to us. There's good news of great joy, and it's for you. So my challenge to you is twofold. Number one, a daily reminder that you are blessed. Maybe keep a gratitude journal. My wife does this every night. She writes down something she's grateful for that day. Reflect on scripture. Reflect on the Christmas story. Go slowly reading it, asking God to reveal joy and hope and love and peace as you read this story. Spend time in prayer because prayer is the way that we put our worries and anxieties and fears to God. And he carries them. And the result is a joyfulness, a lightness, a contentment. And then to practice joy. Find some way this Christmas season, a Sabbath day. Maybe you can give a whole day. Maybe you can just find a way to be generous the next few weeks. Maybe plan a feast and invite others. Hand write a Christmas card. 
surprise somebody unexpectedly with a gift and watch their face light up. Sing a Christmas carol, which is what we're going to do together. We're going to practice joy as a community, singing out, because we are blessed and joy has entered the world through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We worship the creator, not the created things. Your goodness spills over into all of life. Help us to have a perspective shift of joy in this season. We thank you for the great deposit of joy in your son Jesus lying in a manger. What a gift. May that spark good tidings, good news for all of us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.